0: You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to Radio Free Oleander, a weekly show showcasing the best of 1130 AM, KZOM, Oleander, Oregon. Thank you for listening. Your hosts are D.B. Spitzer and David Heath. Here we go. We are definitely recording. (laughs) All right. Hey everybody, it's uh, it's me, DB, and this guy over here is Farmer Dave, and this is Radio Free Oleander. How's it going, Dave?
1: I am doing fine. The goats are doing fine. Good, good. Oh, well, well, we had to break out a few goat coats. It's, it's getting a little nippy.
0: It's getting, yeah. Yes, it is getting cold. I am wearing one of my uh, gothy goth sweaters. I feel like I look like a... Uh, protagonist from an ex uh, uh, expression a german expressionist film from the 20s it's it's all dark and gray and has holes in it and hangs off of me weird and just need to put like dark circles underneath my eyes and wander asymmetrical streets
1: i was going to say it looked like you were adopted by oleander's chambers family (laughs) our our local (laughs) goss
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's uh, most of my uh, most of my winter clothes are all dark greys for like being work clothes and stuff like that. And yeah, and yeah, it's all like navy blues, blacks and dark greys, so it's like very, very kind of goth, but like dock worker goth. <laughs> you wear it well. Well, it's 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 my uniform. But yeah, no, and and, and, and the mayor's like uh, can you start wearing a suit? And I'm like, I, yeah, I have to go into my storage in Portland and see if I can't find any of my old suits. And he's like, see if you can't wear something nice. Maybe try and look professional. I mean, the other mayor may have thought that sweaters and slacks were fine, but and I'm like, okay, all right,
1: I get it, I get it. But you know, but but he was a fake mayor, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So, so I mentioned that we have uh, goat coats which they're kind of like you, you've seen horse blankets and stuff yeah yeah so you can go and you can professionally find buy you know, goat coats they're like you know thirty forty dollars on online
2: mm-hmm.
1: or you can drive into Sandy go into their goodwill buy a bunch of sweat medium-sized sweaters for uh-huh. like three or four bucks a piece nice. and put it on a goat and it becomes a goat coat Ooh. That's nice to know. And sometimes, if it, you know, we'll cut off the arms,
0: uh-huh.
1: and then we'll take the arms and we'll put in four holes. And then when the babies are born, and if they're really cold, we put on basically the sweater sleeve.
0: Oh, the arms of the sweater, not the arms of the goat.
1: Yeah, the arms of the sweater, not the arms of the goat.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I I I, I knew what you meant. Uh, that's that's wow. That's really resourceful. That's that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And uh, when, when are baby goats
1: due? Uh, we're looking. First one's about March.
0: All right. All right. And r- roughly how many uh, baby goats do you think you'll be having? Uh, welcome to Goat Talk. I'm DB talking to Farmer Dave about goats.
1: Uh, we could have because, you know, we're milking. And we're, we're doing a lot of cheese. So we're going to need a lot of mamas because... Uh, a goat, some of our strongest mamas, uh, such as, uh, uh Sonia and, uh, Solomon's mother, uh, Smarty Pants. Mm-hmm. Smarty Pants can go two years without milking, but she's one of the few. So you basically got to, uh, you've got to basically mate them every year. Mm-hmm. So we could have, you know, we could have 30 new goats. Wow we'll we'll add, we'll add them we'll add them to our uh, our uh, our you know grounds cleaning uh goat crew wow that's that's crazy that's
0: that's 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 a lot of goats. <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: But you know, we, we share. I mean, and these are all milk goats, so it's, it's not it's not these it's not practical for meat goats. We can't really yeah. sell them as meat, and it's hard. You you can't really eat something you bottle feed. Sure. But you know, so we will we will maybe you know sell some to farms we trust. Mm-hmm. You know, because they want to they want to get you know a new line into the, theirs. But yes. Welcome to the Goat Report. <laughs> All
0: right. So uh, what are we going to be talking about this episode?
1: Well, I had a very interesting conversation with a student over at the uh, Technical Annex. Okay. Uh, Sid Ritchie. Uh, he, he's the lead singer and the writer uh, for the local uh, garage band Stinky Duck. Okay. And um, he had a very in- so uh, he had a very interesting sort of story to share about uh, a young lady that he saw but hadn't met yet, and uh, it gets maybe a little close to stalker territory, but not quite more muse territory. All right. And uh, so I shared that last Thursday on my show.
0: Okay, all right, and uh, let's see. Uh, you have an interview with someone from something else that we did. Yeah, so James recently. Palmer. Uh-huh.
1: And you know, he is a science fiction writer. But he also writes horror stories. Okay. And um, one of the he also wrote, and we we'll talk a little bit about it has a, a, a novel which I just dropped off. Amazon just dropped off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's The Shadows Over London. Uh, and that includes one of my favorite um, um, uh, historical characters in mm-hmm. it. Uh, Richard Francis Burton. Now, that's not the guy that uh, married Elizabeth Taylor. This is the explorer uh, and uh, who... Uh, Died searching for the Nile. He was basically a linguist and just an amazing. He, you read the real, among other things, he translated into English uh Thousand and One uh, Arabian uh, Arabian Nights." Uh-huh. Uh, you read you read about the real life Francis of Burton and I mean, Richard Burton, um, and, and it's amazing. But uh, so far, this looks like a really good fictional version of him.
0: Nice. Very cool. And uh, the last part, I think, is my favorite pulp, and you're going to be leading us off on that this week?
1: Yeah, so we're going to talk about, um, maybe share a little bit when we get there, but uh, we're going to talk about some probably the most successful pulp writer who wrote my favorite pulp story that most people have never heard of.
0: Nice, nice. And then I'm going to be going with uh, my favorite one next week who's a not-so-successful pulp writer in a story that no one's probably ever heard of <laughs>
1: you know what that, that that's good for our audience oh yeah
0: yeah 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 it's a spectrum a spectrum of weird fiction uh just you know get away from the h.p lovecraft and the robert e howard and the uh, uh i don't know clark ashton smith that we generally uh, circulate around with the weird fiction and uh you know, let's 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 get some other voices in here, uh, <laughs> and let's let's yeah. let's get some new voices in here too. That's that's what I say.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I agree.
0: Yeah. So. I approve. Speaking of voices, uh, let's hear your voice talk about Sid Richie, and uh, his uh, his uh, story.
1: So welcome back. You are listening to. Radio Free Oleander on KZOM, K-Z-O-M, 11.30 on the AM dial. And uh, we've just spent the last 90 minutes people calling in and sharing embarrassing zoo stories. And wow, just wow, I do not think anything I have ever heard or ever will hear is going to beat that kangaroo story. It's just, wow. Okay, so uh, we're about finishing up. I got a little bit more, but uh, the 10 to midnight hour, you guys are gonna be in for a treat tonight. Yes, Carl Kolshak of Kolshak Shake Shack. Say that three times fast. He's the one who provides Chicago style shakes. What exactly is a Chicago style shake? I will let him tell you. But he's going to bring the music of his hometown Chicago. So we're going to hear some jazz. We are going to hear some blues. We are going to hear some R&B and we will even hear a little bit of 70s and 80s Chicago punk. So yeah, you're not going to want to miss that that's going to be between 10 and midnight tonight uh, but as we're finishing up, I want to tell you a story that was told to me last week in the in the studio and this is going to be part of my People of Oleander series and where I share, or People of Oleander you know, people who live here, tell me a story and they give me permission to tell it on air. Uh, again I don't claim this is a true story all I claim is that they told me Uh, but uh, they seem to be telling they seem to be thinking they're telling the truth when they tell me the story so this is going to be a story which I call creative muse featuring Sid Ritchie now Sid Ritchie uh, you may have heard Sid Sid uh, is a member of a band here in Oleander. Uh, he and his bandmates, they are called uh, the Stinky Ducks. And uh, I got, so after their, their live show on uh, Radio Free Oleander last week, I got a chance to sit down and, and talk to Sid. And uh, it turns out that we watch the same documentaries on the History Channel. Uh, because he, he the name of his band, and, and I learned this from watching uh, the History Channel, comes from a French gas mask that was used during uh, World War 1 and what the, the stinky duck was was it was a gas mask but it had to be activated with ammonia. So what would happen is when the Germans fired into the French trenches they would shoot gas shells so that the soldiers would have to take out their gas mask and and I kid you not you can look this up they had to urinate it to activate their gas mask. So that's where uh, the band name, The Sticky Ducks, gets their name. And, and you know, they're, they're a garage band, but I like them, you know. Um, and uh, they're better than the average garage band. And, you know, Portland, which is about 25 miles away, Portland's got this great indie music scene. So if you're going to be a member of a garage band, might as well be in the greater Portland area. So Sid and, and his, his best friend, uh, they both go to um, the Oregon University of Technology uh, Annex here in Oleander. Uh, you know, O-U-T, out. People go to, you know, uh, O-U-T are called the Aldis. Um Well, they, they had a, a little bit of a disagreement. So his best friend and the bassist, his name is uh, Johnny Tomato. His real name is Jonathan Tomato. You think maybe they made that up for the band, but you know, the Tomato family is a you know, pr- pretty, pretty well-known, established uh, family in Oleander. Uh, so they had a little bit of a creative disagreement on where the band should go, uh, and uh, you know Johnny did a lot of the, the the scoring, the music, and Sid does the lyrics. And Johnny had this idea, he wants to be more of a thing. They wanted to be more edgy. They wanted something to sort of catch people's attention. So he wanted to have a more sort of a, you know, from Oleander. Oleander's got this sort of reputation of this sort of spooky town. He wanted the lyrics to be more spooky. Now Sid, he's a great guy. I like talking to him. You get on, he's a, a romantic. In, in, he's a romantic at heart. And when I tell you this story, you're gonna kind of agree with me. He's definitely a romantic. He wanted the music to go more romance. He wanted you know early, early pre-drugs, pre-Yoko Ono Beatles. You know, like I want to hold your hand type you know st- songs. So, so Sid's sitting in the park. And he's trying to he's trying to write these these songs. And, you know, it's out by Eldritch Town so he's got to wear his gas mask. Um, not a stinky duck, fortunately, but he keeps seeing every day, you know, in between classes, he sees this just beautiful girl who comes up, um, obviously she's got a nice car, about his age, uh, always wears black, but it's really fashionable, nice black clothing. Um, so he guesses that she's got to go to you know the rival school. She, she's got to go to um, Blossom Hall, which is part of the uh, is the liberal uh, arts college here uh, outside of Oleander. Uh And she goes to Speedos, uh, where um, you know get her coffee, where everybody in Olander gets their coffee. Um, and even though it's really a drive-up kiosk, Pierre Lumberjack McKenzie, the, the guy who owns it and runs it, um, you know, even though it's a drive-up, he always writes the person's name on the cup. And um, one time, um, she was, uh, I, don't, I guess she was throwing away her old cup uh, and she threw it in the trash can there. And she, so he went up and he saw her name was written on. Uh, it was Casey. And he started, really obsessing about Casey. And he started writing all these songs about Casey. And as far as he thought, you know, this was some of his best stuff. But they were love songs. And you know, he figured, you know, Casey, it's got a, he's guessing short for Cassandra. You know, he wants to talk to, to, you know, Pierre about it, but even if you know him, a six foot two Giant hairy man who goes by the name of Lumberjack and is only wearing speedos and crocs can be kind of intimidating. So he, you know, and he's also he's too shy to actually maybe talk to her. Uh, and besides that time that she threw her garbage out, he, she never leaves the car. Um, so he does what every good red-blooded American boy would do. He stocks her. Uh, now I didn't mention what type of car she had. Uh, I mean, it said, I think he it said it was nice and expensive, but it, it's a classic. There's a lot of classic cars here. Um, you know, uh, those three uh, uh, Norwegian guys with the beard and the red conical hats. You know, they they drive you know hot you know like a Deuce Coupe or something. So there's a lot of classical classic cars here. But she has a fifties. A Uh, Robin's egg blue uh, convertible Thunderbird. So he just follows her, and then she drives up. You know he figures she's driving back to uh, to uh, Blossom Hall. Especially you know she starts she starts heading up west, and she pulls over, and she goes to the glorious Resurrection Cemetery. Now he drives by, you know, and didn't really have any reason there. And and he comes back a couple hours and the car's gone. And he's thinking about all these songs that he wants to write about Cassie. Um, Or Casey. He's really not sure because, you know, um, Lumberjack's not the world's great speller, so he's not really sure how her name is pronounced. But, uh, so he decides Cassie for, uh, for uh, the songs. And she always wears black, and she's mysterious, and, and she's, it describes her, she's just gorgeous. Uh, sort of a, a light-skinned, maybe Arab, maybe, uh, you know, uh, India, Indian descent. Um, so he describes her, he starts writing songs, and. He knows there's, you know, there's this old legend about Gloria, the, the ghost of Glorious Resurrection Cemetery. So he writes this song about Cassie. But he kind of adds some, some words. And, so it could be, is he writing about her? Or is he writing about a ghost? And, and he kind of takes his his clues from the band ever And, you know, they've been around, what, now, 20 years? But when they first came out, you know, they had all these songs which were about, like, unhealthy romance and vampires, which, okay, cool. But they didn't explain a lot of their songs. So, when they first came out, some of the people that bought their records the most, the CDs the most, were Christians. Their CDs were selling like crazy in Christian bookstores because they thought that they were talking about God. And then Everrest says, "No, we're talking about twisted boyfriends and vampires and then the Christians give away." But, you know, so he thought, "I'll write this song, and I will write it about this girl." And I won't tell Johnny that it's about a real girl. And I will let him, just like the early Christian listeners Ever Essence didn't know really what they're talking about, but I'll let him draw his own conclusions. So he takes the songs and Johnny loves it. And Johnny thinks it's the greatest thing ever. And so they start making new songs. And a couple of them they played uh, last week when they were here over at uh, Radio Free Oleander. But a couple of days before, they were trying this out in a, a club uh, down on Foster in Portland, um, and he starts singing, you know, the song uh, Casey or Cassie, excuse me, Cassie, that he, he wrote for her. And she walks through the door. And he is, like, hypnotized, practically. And he's afraid he's going to lose it, but he just... And he sings his heart out. And by the time he looks back up, she's gone. Has not seen her since. And uh, I actually called him, so this was about uh, a week. So it's been about two weeks. And he has not seen her at Speedo's. And he's not quite sure what he would say if he saw her. But, you know, it's kind of like he's disappeared from his life. And, you know, I, I was joking and I said, oh, it sounds like you've been ghosted by a ghost. He didn't think it was funny. But I thought it was funny. So, um, yeah, that's just the interesting story I felt about people living here in Oleander and about how sometimes we interpret things And they're not the way the person who created it meant them to be interpreted. Well, we are about out of time. And I'm going to turn this over to the Honorable Mr. Koshak, who is going to bring you the music of his beloved Chicago. This is Farmer Dave, and this is 1130 on your AM dial. You're listening to Radio Free Oleander on KZOM. Good night, listeners. Good night, Sid. Good night, Cassie or Casey, or whether you're a human or a ghost. Good night, Olander. You're listening to Casey Olander Public
0: Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Farmer Dave on the Farmer Dave Show, and we have got a really special guest today. And I'm excited to talk to uh, James Palmer. Uh, Welcome to the show, James.
2: Hi, glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. And you're primarily a a science fiction writer, correct?
2: Uh, That is correct.
1: Uh, With a little bit of, um, from what I'm gathering here, uh, from a little bit of sort of time travel, a little bit of, maybe a little bit of horror thrown in?
2: Yeah, a a, a little bit. A recent novella series I did combines uh, time travel with uh, Lovecraftian uh, sort of horror uh, sci-fi themes.
1: Excellent. Excellent. And if people uh, who are listening here were interested in finding out more about your books, where would they go?
2: They can go to my website at jamespalmerbooks.net I've got a, a little, uh, short, uh, collection of two stories that they can get for free if they, uh, uh, sign up for my readers
1: group. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And I'll tell you the one that I am sort of excited about. In fact, I just bought on Amazon today. Um, I'm not going to get it for a week or we'd be able to talk about it, but maybe have you back on later or after I have finished reading it is shadows over, uh, shadows over London. First of all, I'm a big Lovecraft fan, so you pretty much have me at Shadows. Right. Um, but uh, so the main character there is one of my favorite people in history, um, Sir Richard Burton. Now, not the one that married the actress, but this is the the historical explorer. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Burton in your book? Um
2: Burton, in, in my book, is, is a lot like um, what I think he was like in in real life. Things mean, veer off a little bit uh, in in my book. Richard, Sir Richard, Captain Sir Richard Francis Burton, uh, he was known after he was knighted, um, was a uh, British. Uh, he was a writer, an ethnologist, a spy, a poet. He he journeyed to Mecca in disguise. Uh, which, for you know, a white man back in those days, would get you killed if you were found out. Uh, Probably
1: the first white man, non-Muslim, to do that.
2: Absolutely, uh, he he was a he was a translator. He was one of the first to translate the uh, Thousand and One Arabian Nights. Um, he um, uh, he was uh, one of the few people to trace the source of the of the Nile River. Uh, in, in africa uh he you know caught malaria a couple of times doing that served in the uh, uh british army he took a a spear tip to the face uh which is which is which is pretty cool um and yeah he was just a very interesting uh, fellow
1: just yeah yeah he's the type of person that you know you read the first part of his biography and i think you, what have I done with my life?
2: Exactly. He makes just about anybody look like a total slacker.
1: Absolutely. And, <clears throat> um, no, just a fascinating person, and I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait to get the, that book. Um, now, we're talking, this month we're doing a, a, a pulp noir sort of uh, theme, um, and uh, what about you? Are have, 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 have you got any favorite pulp stories? Uh, you mentioned Lovecraft, but uh, what are some of your favorite pulp uh, stories and themes, or or uh, writers? Um, I
2: like uh, I, I like Burroughs, Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter a lot. Uh, Absolutely. I, and uh, Robert E. Howard, uh, Howard Lovecraft are, are probably the, the the biggest ones for me, um, as far as just. Uh, kind of superhero characters i really like the spider by norville page he was like a crazy version of the shadow
1: excellent mm-hmm. excellent version uh, yeah. real quickly too just because let's plug ourselves on the end yeah. of this month in fact it's going to be issued i think we're going to do this one on thanksgiving we're doing uh we're doing the poetry of robert e howard a lot of people oh, don't wow. realize it but he was an incredibly talented poet
2: he really was yeah that's that's great
1: yeah, so um, what about what about science fiction? Uh, I mean, uh, was there any like sort of pulp science fiction that you really sort of influenced you or that you loved growing up?
2: Um, like I you mentioned before the Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter stuff. Um, <laughs> I like um, stuff with a lot of action, uh, you know, space battle things like that. Um, I didn't get into pulp until uh, later as an adult uh, when I started reading uh, a lot of Lovecraft and when I discovered Robert E. Howard um, and kind of getting into that. I, I, I love that whole vibe. There's, there's a there's a kind of a blue-collar vibe about it, about these guys that just, uh, you know, they had to make the rent that month. So they would write... You know thirty thousand words, uh, just incredible output, and uh, were was able to eat and pay their rent for that month. Uh, exactly.
1: and and you knew if you'd gone to the Howard House, you know you're probably gonna get the best barbecue in Cross Plains, Texas, too. you just get this feeling from his writing.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know the, the 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 neighbors thought he was a kook. But uh, I, I think he was really, uh, yeah, he was he was very talented, um, and you know, came he came from an oral tradition, you know, because he would he would yell his stories out loud as he was, as he was typing, you know, drove the neighbors nuts. Yeah, yeah, you know, three o'clock in the morning doing that stuff, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, just that whole the whole pulp mindset is is interesting to me. I I don't know that it informs what I write, but it certainly informs how I write.
1: Sure. So, would you say that a lot of what you write is science fiction, or would you say it's closer to, or, or how would you describe what you write? Is it is it is it science fiction? Um.
2: I think it depends. I mean, I've done stuff that blurs the lines. My um, Shadow Council archive stuff for Falstaff books uh, that you know, features uh, Captain Burton uh, certainly blurs the lines a little bit. Um, I haven't done as much science fiction as I would like. I've, I've done a lot of uh, uh, public domain pulp characters and... Things like that, and I have an I have an anthology series called Monster Earth, which is about giant monsters. Oh, okay,
1: um, like kaiju or
2: like yeah. Kong or. Uh, well, a kaiju a, a little bit of everything. We've got, I mean, there's a giant polar bear. I've got oh, a giant okay. spider, just different stuff like that. But yeah, the, the definitely the kaiju kind of vein. Um, uh, there there's kind of a a giant kind of really hairy Sasquatch type. Creature uh, that that my partner Jim Beard and I came up with, uh, and I'm uh, about to start editing uh, the third and final volume of, of that series called War on Monster Earth. So I'm I'm still waiting on a couple of the stories. So I'm uh, I didn't contribute to this one this time. I'm, I'm just strictly editing it.
1: Well, i and, and definitely, I think, the, the monster and the giant monster, that definitely has this, I mean, it has a very pulp history, but it also has this very uh, sitting around the campsite telling stories, um, uh, history too, you know, from like the Wendigo and, and, and Sasquatch. So I think this, not only, it's nice to see that it's not only did it influence the 30s 40 writing with things like you know the Wendigo or you know the White Apes and Howard stories but it's, it's nice to see that they're still influence, influencing writing now
2: absolutely I mean that, that stuff never goes away I think it's ingrained in our psyches
1: what, what would, which way would you like to see science fiction go in the future
2: You know, I mean, there's there's different flavors and stuff of science fiction. I I, I think I think science fiction can be um, a good tool for social change and technological change and getting us used to new technologies and you know showing us how we can save the world, how how we can. Uh, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson has been doing that a lot lately. How how we can uh, maybe mitigate if not outright solve climate change and problems of overpopulation and, and, and things like that and, and you know what what would a post-scarcity economy look like um, what would happen if we all became functionally immortal? stuff like that I think is really intriguing and fascinating
1: you know I you know I agree and And I think one of the things I think right now, what I think sort of sells is dystopia. But, you know, you can have dystopia with answers. I I think that's kind of what you're saying. You know, I'd like to see maybe a little bit more answers with my with, you know, my my bleak cyberpunk dark future writings.
2: Yeah, well, and, and science fiction has always been an optimistic literature. It, it tells us that there is a tomorrow. There will be a tomorrow. Now, we might be cowering in fear from our giant cockroach overlords, but there's a tomorrow. And while there's a tomorrow, we have a chance. We have a chance to make things better. Um, it,
1: exactly. It's kind of hidden in Star uh, Trek. But, you know, Star Trek, there were several world wars before they got to the part where they got to the Federation.
2: Exactly.
1: So, no, I, I, I agree. Do you think that, that that's where the market's going to go towards, or or do you think it's sort of maybe once we get past the 2020s, we're going to kind of see maybe different markets coming up?
2: I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 any, it's anybody's guess. Uh, you know, science fiction – has always been you know people always point to it as being predictive but uh it's very hard to make those kind of grand prognostication yeah and and science fiction writers get it wrong all the time uh and I, i i wouldn't presume to to try to predict things i think it's already going in that direction uh some of it um you've got stuff that's called, uh, cli-fi, which is climate fiction, deals with climate, global warming and things. Uh, and you've got, uh, you know, any kind of, you know, take a word, of punk, but you've got solar punk, which is this kind of optimistic literature. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, with, with every, the, the, the way, the way publishing is going, um, the, the, the changes in traditional publishing and the advances in indie publishing and just uh, the state of the world. I mean, it's anybody's guess at this point. Uh, but, you know, some of the stuff I pointed out is it's already happening.
1: No, absolutely. And, and I think, too, that sometimes, you know, when we talk about state of the world, sometimes science fiction, I mean, it's good to have, you know, stuff that are based on Political realities and give us options, but you know sometimes it's just good to have a escapist space fantasy.
2: Absolutely, and there's plenty of room for that. But there's there's room for all of it because there's room for all kinds of
1: readers. You know, and sort of uh, a, another thing, and, and I know I'm kind of jumping all around, but I want to kind of also bring back to uh, sort of the Lovecraft. Uh, some of the best science fiction I think is science fiction horror and and I think we see that in what's sort of tangently is sort of associated with with the Lovecraft group is you know uh, John Campbell's Who Goes There became you know the thing or we see this in Alien what do you think about as a writer both horror and science fiction and so on? you know who likes the mythos what do you think about science fiction horror as a subplot
2: well it's it's something I've been really fascinated with I, I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm still kind of toying with an idea um, for a, a series kind of in that vein that's kind of military <laughs> sci-fi space opera but also space horror um, so yeah I, 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 I love that stuff it, it's kind of a blend of um Supernatural with the science, like it's the supernatural becomes just science. We don't understand. It's too advanced for us. That's that's kind of where Lovecraft was going with his stuff. Um, I think you know, I I, there's there's a couple of collections called Ace Eldritch that 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 explore that theme, that idea. Um, I think there's, uh, you know, I, I think there's still room for it out there. I think that, you know, space travel can be dangerous and scary and the aliens we meet aren't always going to be cute and cuddly. They're going to be things that we don't understand, that we don't have any kind of frame of reference for at all. And that's terrifying.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think that was, you know, one of the major motifs of Lovecraft is that the universe is this cold, dark. Place that not only it just doesn't care about you that you can't breathe in a vacuum you know universe doesn't care and and the more and more we find out about the universe and, you know the more it's more interesting but we find out there's still more we don't understand so there, there's so I mean literally that's limited by the writer's imagination
2: yeah absolutely and it's it's it's, it's fun to to kind of come up with with stuff that will work in that in that arena um, and, and challenging too and fun to write yeah
1: so do you have uh, not not? And you mentioned uh, it's Monster World 3 you said that you're doing the editing on
2: it's uh, Monster Earth yeah the third volume is called War on Monster Earth it's Monster Earth, Betrayal on Monster Earth and War on Monster Earth it's like <clears throat>
1: You have any other projects coming up uh, around the new year or so?
2: Um, I hope to. I'm finishing up a novella right now called "The Wind Between the Worlds." That's kind of a Roger Zelazny, uh, Amber esque sort of uh, tale. Um, so I'm I i have not quite decided what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do with that yet. I have a Patreon. My patrons will get uh, to to see it before anybody else does. Um, uh, and that's well,
1: excellent. Well, shoot us a, an instant Sorry. message, and we'll definitely when it's available on Patreon or however you want to release it. We'll uh, we'll make sure that we uh, we list that for you. I
2: appreciate that.
1: Well, I have really enjoyed this this interview, and I'm very grateful. Uh, anything else you'd like to to say to our audience before we go?
2: Um, no, just uh, just uh, keep walking the skies.
1: (laughs) Yep, well, thank you very much, and I hope to have you on again uh, soon. Yeah, sounds
2: great, I'd love
1: it. Thank you, I think that went very well. Yeah, me too. Excellent. So, so right now, the plan is that it's going to be and and we, we joke, we say, you know, it's radio-free, Oleander. We joke because none of us get paid. The reason we call it that is none of us get paid. But, <laughs> so, so the goal is to have it, and, and sometimes he does it Wednesday night. He posts it, you know, but Thursday, a week from, so the second Thursday in Thanksgiving. I just got a text while we were talking from the, the guy who was doing the first, uh, and he said that he actually – Wants to move back our interview to Tuesday, so we should still be able to get it done. But if we're going to change the time, we'll let you know. But right now, we're planning on doing releasing it um, second Thursday of November.
2: Okay. Yeah, if you have, Send me a link or whatever, and I'll y'all share it far and wide. Right.
1: Oh well, thank you very much. And sure. um, hey, I realized too with uh, it's kind of late over there with the time change and everything. So thank you for uh, staying up, and uh, we will definitely keep in contact.
2: Yeah, you know,
0: no problem. Alright. Thanks.
2: Thanks, sir.
0: Yeah. Come on. And hey everybody, we are back. Radio Free Oleander, a collection of eleven thirty AM's best and brightest radio shows. Good news. There's a lot of radio shows. Bad news, most of them are hosted by me and Farmer Dave. Who am I? I'm DV Spitzer, uh, mayor's comptroller, just kind of a, just, I don't know, honorary title, more or less. I roll the mayor's cigarettes, and I get his laundry. Dave, you're a farmer, correct?
1: Yes, I am am the goat's farmer.
0: Yes, yes.
1: They don't belong to me, I belong to them.
0: (laughs) And I feel like if people have gotten this far into the podcast and didn't know that i i'm I'm really confused about the circumstances of your listening habits but hey uh up now we're gonna be having dave uh you're you're gonna talk about a pulp right
1: yeah, so we're gonna talk about um my favorite pulp story um and it's a very obscure and we're gonna talk about uh, an obscure pulp writer now, yeah. But in the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, he was by far more prolific and probably more financially successful, uh-huh. as well as having more name recognition than, say, Lovecraft or even Robert E. Howard. Mm-hmm. And that is Seabury Quinn. Oh. Are, are you familiar with Seabury Quinn? Seabury
0: Quinn's one of those names I hear. Uh... Derek, Monster Kid Radio, and uh, Ken Height kick out at panels, and then I'm like, I write it down, like, oh yeah, I gotta do that. I, I gotta look. That's something I have to look up, and then I forget, and it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. And, uh,
1: life happens.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. So he's probably most famous. For his uh, Jules de Grandin, which I'm sure I mispronounced it, who was a French doctor. He was basically a a cult detective. Okay. And that he would solve mysteries. And some of them turned out that they were supernatural and some of them weren't. Um, He basically was sort of a French Sherlock Holmes living in America. Gotcha. But that's not what we're talking about, but that's what he's most famous for. Um, and he, uh, but see, uh, Barry Quinn probably, he definitely made more money than Lovecraft and, and Howard. Uh, more prolific by far than Lovecraft. Lovecraft published in his lifetime, what, 20, 30 stories that weren't, you know, Derleth coming up later or something, or, or, uh, you know, ghost stories where uh, Seabury Quinn, during his career, published over 154 pulp stories. Yeah. Now, unlike a lot of these authors at the time, Uh Seabury Quinn didn't really need the money. He was a lawyer, uh, and he worked, and he specialized in things – oh, he specialized in, uh, among other things, he changed through his career – but working for um, uh, Undertakers. In fact, I believe he wrote the the monthly magazine for lawyers specializing in Undertakers. Uh, and so, writing was just sort of a way he calmed down. You know, it was fun. He liked it. It. He didn't have to worry about you know paying the bills because of it. Yeah. And he wrote what I think is the best pulp story ever written, but it's also extremely obscure. Um, and it's called uh, When Lesser Brethren Mourn.
0: Hmm.
1: Or, or, excuse me, the, the Lesser Brethren Mourn. Yeah. And it was first published in 1940. Um, it was the October version of Strange Stories. Hmm. And most of him, most of his writing were uh, on you know about uh, amazing tales and uh, you know w- you know weird fiction, mm-hmm. but Strange Stories, if you could, you wanted to publish in Strange Stories because they paid a little bit more. Hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, so it's the October issue, there's only thirteen cop or thirteen issues of Strange Stories, um, and the cover, uh, the cover article this year on this particular episode or issue was for a August Derleth and Mark Shore uh, story called The Evil Ones. Hmm. Um, now, Mark Shore was actually August Derleth's like high school friend. Okay. And they actually combined did 12 different uh stories hmm. um and they were more a traditional kind of like ghost story yeah. so if you see if you google the cover of uh the october 1940 strange stories there's this woman and then there's like skeletons with you know hands with some flesh pointing uh, so it's much more of a traditional horror story than say a lovecraftian story uh-huh. um and um so um The additional, um, this particular article, or this particular issue, has uh, stories by Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, uh, Seabury Quinn, and I believe it also has a a Kuttner story in it. Um, Now, if you're interested in buying this particular uh, magazine, which sold for 10 cents in 1940, Uh it's going to run you about $100. Yikes. Yeah, um, but um, so fortunately, and I thought that there was only one, up until I did a little bit of research today, I thought that there was only one reprint of uh, The Lesser Brother Mourn, and that is not true. There's actually a second one. Uh, it's in volume four of the uh, stories of Seabury Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, that too is going to run you about a hundred bucks, about $95. Um, so volume four of the Seabury Quinn stories is 424 pages. I think there's seven volumes. So that tells you how prolific a writer he was. Now I came across this story though, in a Barnes and Noble. So yeah, I've, um, you ever been at the, the Barnes and Noble and they have like, where they basically make these books together with, um, They pull a bunch of stories, short stories in. They had like the 100 creepy little this, the 100 scary little ghost stories.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen those on people's shelves.
1: Yeah, so in the 100 creepy little creatures is where I found it. Okay. Uh, And that was published in 1994. And there's a hard copy and a paperback copy. And ironically, because I think they made more hard copies or maybe they just lasted longer. It's you. Usually about two dollars cheaper to buy the hard copy.
0: Okay.
1: So you can order this online for about <clears throat> six, seven, eight bucks. Huh. Um, which is not bad, and it's got great stories. It's got uh, a Suki story. And it's got some wonderful stories. So if you work that out, let's say you pay eight bucks, uh-huh. You know, you're paying like you know eight cents a story. Huh. Uh, it, it's definitely worth it, it it's a, it's a good it's a good book especially if well, I got it because at the time the only time I could read was at work when I was working mm-hmm. during my breaks so you know you know two or three breaks and I finished one of the short stories uh, but you can get that again online for less than nine bucks for a good copy so why well, I'm going to spoil it since Though I'm going to go ahead and spoilers, uh, I think this is the best story. But I'm going to I'm going to tell you my version of the story. If you don't want to hear how the story ends, turn your computer or phone off right now.
0: Oh man, I have to record
1: this. <laughs> oh yes, <here's> the... <laughs> so and, and remember, and it, it, I said that he, uh, C. Barry Quinn was a lawyer for, um, you know. Uh, for Undertakers
0: Uh Uh,
1: so it takes place you know for the Undertaker as sort of the main character and there's a man who died and he's just supposed to travel the world and he has learned all the secrets from all the different religions and he's the spiritual just magic religious guy And, and he's died and his nephew comes but he's also collected quite a bit of money and his nephew comes, and all he cares about is you know the physical stuff, all these relics and artifacts. He just wants to sell. He wants to keep this. He wants to keep all the money. So just you know, won't pay for a funeral service. He won't you know just wants a, the cheapest box. Just you know, get rid of the body. And so the undertaker that night, he hears something breaking in to the mortuary, uh-huh. and he goes down and he hears, and he looks. And there's this huge line of animals, deers and raccoons and bobcats, all coming to pay respect to the, this guy who died. Hmm. And, and it's just uh, the way it's written, I just think it's a, just, a, and the, the ending is just a great story. Cool. Very now, cool. there's kind of a weird thing, though. Uh-huh. So it's hinted in the story that the Lesser Brethren Mourn mm-hmm. is from the Quran. Okay. If it is, I can't find it. Huh. Uh, so, uh, you know, and there I found one researcher thought maybe he meant, you know, there's, I guess, uh, St. Francis, who's known for loving animals, know, calls uh, animals his, his little brothers. But, you know, where he got that title... And in, in the story, he says, it implies it comes from the Quran. I don't know. Nobody's able to find that connection.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, like I said, I think that it's the best well-written, of course, you know, I spoiled it for people, um, short story. And, and I'm amazed that it's so hard to find. Yeah. So we got a few minutes. Um Let's talk about the other thing that um, uh, Seabury Quinn wrote. All right. So in about the 50s, he wrote this around the 50s. In the end of the 50s, he has a stroke. uh, And he dies in the 60s. So this story is not published until 1977. Uh, And it's called Alien Flesh. I don't know if you've heard that or...
0: I think this is why I know who Seabury Quinn is.
1: So it's a story about basically an archaeologist who gets the Egyptian gods mad at him and so they change his gender. And it's surprisingly for something that is written in the 50s Uh surprisingly sympathetic and that, you know, as this person deals with the changes in what is now her body and how it grows and how she falls in love and she has to explain you know where she came from and who she was and it's a surprisingly like I said it's the type of story that you would think would be written in the ni- in the 2020s mm-hmm. as opposed to the 1950s uh, again it was not published in his lifetime
2: hmm
0: interesting it sounds cool
1: now that again to get an original copy and I'm seeing it find something online but original copy runs about 50 bucks yeah so and as near as I can tell there may be second or third printings but I haven't been able to find a copy yet
0: I tell you, it drives me crazy. Loving pulp, yeah. old pulps is uh, very, very expensive. There's like even even not so old uh, weird fiction tales, like uh, like trying to track down like very specific stories of Ramsey Campbell now will cost you an arm and a leg. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, and, and it's uh, I remember, you know, thirty years ago, my dad and you know, I, he came across a whole bunch and collected. 1930s um, National Geographic's, uh-huh. you know, they paid like a quarter or a dollar a piece. I right, probably closer to a quarter at Salvation Army, uh-huh. and there were all of these, you know, analogs and, and even amazing stories. And you know, if i had known then what I know now,
0: uh-huh.
1: but oh well. Yeah, yeah. So, um. That's my favorite pulp story. Nice. And uh, we'll be hearing from your favorite pulp story next week.
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Radio Free Oleander, a collection of uh, various radio shows on 1130 AM KZOM, Oleander, Oregon. Join us for the end of the month where we will be on the main harvest float for KZOM, Oleander, Oregon, because it's safer to be on a float these days than it is to be—I don't know—anywhere else. I—I I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that's what the copy says here. And it is
1: outdoors.
0: It is outdoors, but it I don't know if it's outdoors, necessarily right? safe to be on any of the floats that they build for this these these parades. I, so. I mean, I hate to be that guy, but. <laughs> well, you,
1: it, 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 if you can't trust the the rednecks of Oleander to build something, who can you trust?
0: I don't know. They. uh... Last week they were chanting "Stop the wall, build the count," and I can, I don't know. I don't know. I'm <laughs> enough. Well, that.
1: We, we should be out there chanting "Build the float, build the float." <laughs>
0: use proper tools <laughs> particle board and duct tape does not a float make <laughs> oops yeah well that happened i i heard about last year i heard about last year so anyway so that's uh that's that we, that's what we got coming up for a harvest fest there and no it's it's not that bad it's not that bad i think it was just like I don't know. I think oblivion got Obliviated and built
1: a float that didn't float. So, well, yeah, that was the that was their tribute to the Graf Zeppelin, though. <laughs> Where they they used hydrogen.
0: <laughs> well, they used it a little bit too much and a little bit too close to uh, well, the talent, the, the Louis so.
1: Louis uh, Louis Luau's, uh volcano float.
0: Yep. Yep crazy stuff crazy yep. stuff i'm sure nothing crazy like that will happen this year we will have a very safe sane clean and kind harvest festival float no one
1: will parade. be shouting the humanity the humanity at the end of the parade
0: no no and um most importantly uh everyone stay home stay safe Watch the parade on your TV. And, uh, yeah, if, if you do want to be outside, like, stay in your yard and look at the parade from your house. Don't come out by the street. Um, and if you do, we're not throwing candy or anything like that because we're not anticipating that, so...
1: Cheap plastic binoculars are on sale at Johnny Loves Chotsky.
0: Yep, yep. And A1 has... Binoculars half off. They're called telescopes.
1: Yeah.
0: Or monoculars? Half off monoculars? Yeah.
1: Monoscopes.
0: Monoscopes. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about us, and. I don't know. Uh one of these days we'll set up a Patreon or something and eventually we're going to have new t-shirts, but until then check out uh check out the show notes and help support people who need help. We've got uh victims of forest fires. We have uh, uh I'll, I'll 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 fix the show notes. Just check the show notes and um I can't remember right now. All right. Thank you so much good everyone. Causes. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay.